Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Facing and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. The world of technology is often one where a winner takes all. As we've discussed in previous podcasts, this is sort of the natural result of network effects that often come hand in hand with technology, especially on the internet. And frequently that can actually can create much more value. A larger network can mean more usefulness for the people who make up that network. But it can also raise some serious concerns about dominance, market power, and monopolies. And sometimes that makes things awkward. <laughs> At TechDirt, we tend to be very pro-consumer and pro-innovation, and that leads us pretty frequently to being skeptical about the need for regulation, at least without a clear and proven reason for, for that kind of regulation. But uh, one area where you could see that happening uh, would be in cases where there is monopoly power and it's being abused to harm consumers. And that's where we felt that it was happening often in the broadband world, where one or two companies that provided access had too much control and abused that dominant position. Uh, the tech industry itself has a pretty long history of big uh, antitrust cases, or I should really say antitrust battles. Uh, AT&T was famously broken up by an antitrust case in the 1980s, um, though in some ways I guess you could say that it's merged itself back together. Um, around that same time, IBM also faced a big antitrust case, though it was not broken up. IBM basically won in that case. Then famously in the 1990s, Microsoft dealt with a massive antitrust case, which it technically lost, but eventually the Justice Department more or less decided to give it a slap on the wrist and, and let it go. The EU was a bit tougher on Microsoft, but still didn't force it to break up or anything, just put a few conditions on it. Nowadays, you hear more talk of antitrust against the new dominant players. So Google and Facebook are frequently discussed as antitrust targets. Sometimes people will discuss Apple and Amazon as well. Um, there have been a few cases or a few things starting. The FTC investigated Google but ended up not moving forward, though apparently it's back to investigating Google once again. Uh, Apple got slapped down in a dispute with Amazon for antitrust reasons not too long ago, though there were some who argued that Amazon actually was the one who deserved to get in trouble in that case. And over in the EU, um, the EU Commission has already moved against Google, and many expect more moves against uh, both Google and Facebook and possibly others as well. The EU is sort of notoriously more prone to using antitrust enforcement than the U.S. Now, we believe strongly in the value of competition around here and thus can see the value of regulators coming in to break up abusive monopolies. But there's an open question of when and how that should happen and under what conditions. So it seemed like a topic worth discussing. And here to do that are our usual co-hosts, Dennis Yang and Hirsch Reddy. Uh, now, we, I think all three of us tend to be supporters of the market taking care of things wherever possible, um, meaning that this conversation may start off with certain assumptions and certain agreements. 
environment. So I'm, I'm going to try and force the, the conversation here with, with the starting question, which is for you guys, under what conditions do you think it actually does make sense for regulators to come in with antitrust claims? Wow. Uh, <laughs> oh, I stumped you right at the no, beginning. No, no. Well, see, the thing is, you know, you made an assumption in that question, right? The assumption was that I would think that there was at least some circumstance in which I Well, think right. No, no. And, and I, I almost put in the caveat, if any, right? So you can take the argument, and I, I would probably disagree with you, and that would lead to a good conversation here, right, that, that, never. Th- that you, there should never be any antitrust activity. Well, is, that, yeah. is that your position? Well, you know... Unlike my participation in almost every other podcast that we've ever had, and I have a strong opinion, in this one, I'm like a little unsure of myself because on the (laughs) one hand, when I'm in a moment such as, you know, when uh, Microsoft was coming under antitrust scrutiny um, in the 90s, I certainly felt Microsoft had too much power and it seemed like it was constraining trade. And the arguments that people made to me, which were like, hey, it'll just take care of itself, like you don't need to worry about it just didn't get much traction with me but after the fact looking at how soundly they got trounced um and how sort of they're definitely not at the top of the heap right now right and how relevant windows has become and none of those things happened because of the antitrust action they happen in other ways right and yeah well i mean i there are some people who disagree with that statement i i actually do agree Mm -hmm. with you but there are some people who say you know that the what restrictions there were as well as just sort of the toll of the antitrust fight as well and sort of microsoft then sort of being gun shy on certain things did in fact lead to microsoft sort of fading from its dominant position i mean i i guess the way that narrative would make sense is if you if you were to um make the story that essentially Google found a vacuum to move into only because the browser wasn't locked down by Microsoft. And that, um, and I mean the web browser, right? Sure. Because of antitrust fears. And uh, hardware wasn't completely closed off, which gave Apple an opening simply because Microsoft and Intel uh, together couldn't just form a duopoly and prevent Apple from buying Intel chips, right? Which is certainly a possibility in, in a world without the Sherman Act. Um, I I mean, I'm sympathetic to that. That's why I said from the beginning, you know, I don't have a super strong opinion, but but the the thing that I would sort of put on the other side of, of, the, of the balance, right, of the scales is that the way antitrust is being used right now against Google mm-hmm. um, just doesn't, just doesn't seem to make any sense to me, right? They are, they while they do have a very good search engine, they that that those antitrust sort of arguments about how Google has monopoly power in search just don't hold the same way they did for me w- when discussing sort of an operating system monopoly because there with the operating system because of the way their hardware ecosystem worked it was very difficult to um, make an alternative right mm-hmm. and and to start a, an alternative ecosystem. With search, it's almost a product that stands on its own. There isn't really necessarily an ecosystem around it. So you could very easily make a better, not sure. easily, that's not the right word, but you right. could, you so, could make a alternative to Google products, right? Right. And and that's uh, like Google's argument against any antitrust action is that the competition is one click away, right? So that's what they say, that you don't have the same sort of lock-in kind of lock yeah. that, you know, a Microsoft has, you, know, you, you, you purchased a computer with Microsoft Windows and you know, you're stuck with it for a while and, and it's harder to, to get into that 
to into that market. Um, but I mean, there are people who will argue that you know it's not that easy to leave the Google ecosystem, right? Like, sure, yes, you can go somewhere else, but it's become so dominant that everyone just kind of defaults to using it anyway. Well, you, you know, one of the things I think that that people don't necessarily understand is is that antitrust, at least the way it's formulated now, is not a uh, a regulation that's set up to simply punish companies for being big, right? Uh, in, in the U.S. In the U.S., right? <laughs> in, in in Europe, it kind of is. So right. that's 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 a different really. Thing. Well, how, how is, no, how is but, it set up in Europe? Well, there's there there are assumptions within the way antitrust works in Europe yeah. that big automatically. Yeah, but is it big relative to the market or just big? Well, so, so, I mean, this is the thing, like the the key thing to any antitrust case is what is the market? How do you define the market? Right. Because, you know, relative to what market? Right. So, so if you define the market of search, then, then Google's a dominant player in search. Right. I mean, they, they, they own a significant percentage of that market. If you, but you, know, if you can also like do something silly, like define the market as pizza, pizza restaurants on my block. And then you're not allowed to have <laughs> but you know, something what? ridiculously sure. small, right? Like, right. So, so, so like market definition is always kind of like the yeah. key fight in, in any kind of antitrust. I mean, I, I thought like the XM serious antitrust thing was interesting, right? Wasn't there an antitrust thing when they were merging or some? Yeah. Some I mean, well, I mean, that, any, any sort of big merger, especially between yeah. like two competitors in the space is going to trigger antitrust analysis over whether or not, right. um, you know, it, it, passes muster and so like any merger like that you know doesn't go through yeah. for many months because it has to first but go. i thought that was fascinating because it was like yeah yeah like the only satellite two satellite radio players merging cause these questions and it's like no <laughs> right well it's again yeah. right i mean in that case yeah, it's, it's a it's a, you know how do you define the market is the market satellite yeah. radio or is it you know radio in general or is it just like audio programming in which case you have to include the internet as well yeah. and then you know if if you include market down that way then like satellite radio is a really small player yeah. and so you know that's why the market definition makes such a big difference but when it comes to european antitrust and i'm no expert there i, I just you know read the economist or something like that that's my level of expertise <laughs> with, with european antitrust but it seems to me that that um the europeans uh only seem to get really excited about this tech company antitrust because most of the big champions are U.S. companies. Because yeah. they're, when, they're, when their own sort of huge industrial concerns that are completely monopolistic get built up, they don't, they don't consider it a, a, a trust problem. In fact, they call them national champions and like try to give them even more power in the market, right? Sure. Like, I mean, you look at like, like Airbus, right? I mean, exactly. That was, what, was the tip of my yeah. tongue, Airbus. But, <laughs> but, but there's others, right? There's, there's lots of yeah. really big... I mean, it's, it's a very strange industrial landscape in Europe because in one sense, they, they, they think of themselves as being sort of very anti-corporate and, um, and, and they think of themselves as sort of restraining uh, corporations. But on the other hand... They set up a market where it's extremely difficult for any sort of competitors to rise up. Yeah. And they have these established titans that have been around for 200 years or something, right? Like each of them. And, yeah. and, it, and it's, it's yeah. rather absurd. And uh, in the U.S., I can see how um, the U.S. companies make them nervous because this is essentially a form of disruption coming from across the Atlantic, right? And it's yeah. very large and their own titans don't seem to know how to deal with it. And so I can see as societies how they might want to react to that. But in the U.S., you would think, given how in America, if we look at companies, they always seem to be rising and falling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 
why I, maybe this is also sort of just the 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 the, the I, I'm looking at this through the eyeglass of my own life only, right? Like within <laughs> our lives, right? Companies that have a huge amount of like sort of respect and and we think they're going to be around forever. Uh, when we were young and coming out of college, are now just like completely falling on their faces without or, or gone or gone, or gone right? Yeah. Um, do you guys remember the way Sony was perceived when we were graduating? I mean, these guys, people yeah. thought they were going to destroy every American electronics company, that they were going to smash everything, that Apple was done, that Intel was done, that everybody was done. And, and, the, and you know, if you remember, the PlayStation was the hottest thing. Uh, the Walkman was the hottest thing or the Discman at that time. Uh, you know, and, and, <laughs> You're revealing our, our, yeah, our, age, our age. I think I think we've done that before anyway. But yeah. what I'm saying is, how quickly the launch of the iPod, uh, the original iPod, just knocked them on their butt. And then after that, it became very apparent that all their expertise in consumer electronics was for naught because everything was moving into software. Sure. And if, if you didn't have an elegant software interface, it really didn't matter how great your electronics were. And even to this day, um, it's rather astounding because the, Sony is a leader in imaging and in cameras and in micro lenses and all these things, right? And yet, the number one camera company in the entire world is Apple, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, because of iPhones. And um, the Sony the Sony camera division is kind of an afterthought, right? If you're not a camera enthusiast, you probably don't even realize this about Sony, right? And uh, there's no antitrust there, right? Uh, I, I think if, if you remember all the sort of whining and groaning about Japanese consumer electronics companies uh, sure. in, in the late 80s and early 90s, it's it's millennials will be astounded to hear that that was even a thing that you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. they're just yeah. like, no Why? i mean right like like i remember you know when when i was in in college and studying sort of industrial economies and everything that over and over again the thing that you know this is the early 90s and the the thing that um i had multiple classes where we were doing these case studies in terms of like who basically who's going to eat the u.s economy is it going to be japan or is it going to be germany and there you would go back and forth and all and everyone just assumed that you know the US economy was doomed and that it was going to be Japan or Germany that was was going to to win out and um you know that didn't happen <laughs> and like you know the idea of like especially like in the electronics and tech space that that um you know Japan was going to be the leader definitely did not did not pan out and and if you look at sort of um, the reactionaries at that time and the kinds of actions they asked for, right? In terms mm -hmm. of not only antitrust-related things, but also in terms of restraints on trade, we need to make a yeah, safe yeah. space. All of those things are happening again now, right? With the different boogeyman. <laughs> yep. And and the thing we don't realize is by by not protecting things and just making things as rugged and open as possible, we essentially, in the 90s, spawned these these companies right these sort of world beating companies that could fight with anybody right like the new apple google right uh mm -hmm. you know much later facebook but essentially it's, it's these are like companies that they, they can thrive anywhere because they essentially institutionally and organizationally they have developed a way that kind of is resistant to sort of you know bottom of the barrel sort of competition which is what were the fears were right which is sure like, you know, costs of labor is going to dominate. They've just proven that they're going to pay the most, the absolute most, their workers the absolute most, and still dominate, right? Um, and uh, I, I think when it comes to antitrust, I think there's a few things here where I think 
th- those types of um, you know sort of alarm calls are also the alarm calls that we hear in, in, in of the same flavor. I think in Europe, obviously, it's a different flavor of threat that people are mm-hmm. making the alarms about now. But I think I think the lesson there is that um, the way commerce proceeds is so uh, unpredictable that if if you think you can make certain technocratic prescriptions about how you can sort of surgically manage the market, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times, those things are 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 don't really. Um, comport with reality in terms of actually being an efficient, creating a good outcome, right? Like, yep. Uh, and so, uh, so I mean, so I, I, I agree with you, but, but there is a point where like, I, you know, I also tend to think that competition is good, right? <laughs> and that competition drives innovation and that competition leads to more of that kind of um, output. And yet, you know, you have to admit that we're seeing some dominant players that like, yes, you're right. Like somebody else could create a, a search engine, but you know, that's not as easy as, as people say, and getting people to switch off of Google is, is not an easy trick. So like, you know, is there a role in sort of, you know, figuring out ways to, to increase competition? Well, if you will indulge me with a just so kind of story, right? right. Which, which is that if you if you look at the way people do searches, right? Um, there, the 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 interfaces to get to search machines, right? To 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 search APIs, those are not necessarily going to be the web. And while it's true that Google has a huge sort of technical lead on search, already people are sort of. Um, n- the, the sort of the avenues by which they get to search are already outside the hands of Google. And what I mean by that is essentially, if you're on mobile, if you're on an iPhone, you might mm-hmm. start talking to Siri first, sure. right? Even though you know Google might be better. I mean, sort of somewhere in the back of your head, you might know Google is a great search company, but you yeah. might just be too lazy. On another, on another end, if you're in a chat program like Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp, you may just ask within the chat for some help because there's a assistant there, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and Google just tried to launch their own chat program, Google Allo. And uh, I think we were all discussing this earlier, but nobody's going to use it because well, your friends are not on it. Uh, yeah. well, I'm, I'm yeah. testing it out. but oh, I know you yeah. are. And we are technocratic nerds, yeah. right? And uh, and that's not even the right word. Not technocratic. We're technophiles, right? So, sure. So, so we, we try everything new. And uh, we'll probably exchange three or four messages, Masnick, <laughs> like we did on Google Wave, right? Yeah. Uh, and like maybe a video message like we did on Google Duo. And then uh, we'll just essentially leave that program on our phone uh, and not open it again until the phone sort of goes in back into the dumpster, right? So <laughs> that's essentially what happened. So they don't have a lead in these places, right? And right. so, you know, I mean, I think isn't what you're saying is kind of what, what Mike was saying before about defining the market, right? Like if you define Google as having a monopoly on search, maybe that's true. But if you want to say Google has a monopoly on accessing in- information, like that's a lot different because, right. you know, like you're you're ending up with information through Facebook, through, like you said, the chat applications, through a lot of different, like you could possibly go through a day without actually using google now right like you and like more and more information and like this is the thing that i think keeps execs at google up at night the fact that more and more information that we access is now you know out of google's reach right right and and google's kind of blind to it i mean a lot of people like more and more people think that facebook is the web yeah and you and they never they never there there is a scenario in which people 
don't use Google anymore, and that's that. That I'm sure is what kind of freaks right. them so, out. Right. So, so, but l- let me go. Let me go back to the original question because we never actually answered it, <laughs> yeah. which is, you know, are there cases, uh, and under what circumstances do you think that it, it could make sense for antitrust activity to come in? I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, do 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 you say none? Is that is your answer? No, I mean, there there is like at what point here's that? That's a, instead of kind of like a legal, I guess. Let me pose it in a different way, more of like a social or cultural way, right? Like, okay, at what is this point, your way of getting away from the question? No, no, no. I'm <laughs> saying like, at what point do we feel like something is unfair? Right? Uh, is that is that the okay. right way to ask it? Right? I, I, like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think. So because that's, it, it becomes less like legal nuance and more just like cultural. Like when does it feel icky that a company is doing something <laughs> that you're like, hey, uh, that's not look, fair, I, right? I don't know. I'm not comfortable with 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 icky no? being the standard. I mean, uh, I, I, maybe. I think. I mean, <laughs> like, a, like we're trying to. But the thing is, the thing is, like, put icky, a icky is okay, fine. right? But but icky is so so. It's subjective. You know, sub- subjective yeah. the standard. And it's such, it's so subjective. Let's that, say unfair. Like, ver- yeah. yeah, very, very different people have very, very different senses of icky. And like you yeah. often hear of things that people think are icky. And then and like, that's why that's why this is so that's why this is so, you know, this is so hard, I think. Right. Well, I think, you know, so. So, OK, so if we get back to like what is the um, the, the the sort of what US, is anti-competitive icky? Well, so, so, right. So in the U.S., like, so, I mean, we talked about sort of European standard, but like in the U.S., in order to be antitrust, it's not just that you need a monopoly. You also right. need abusive practices because based on that monopoly position. Right. And that's a standard that I can kind of understand and feel a little bit more comfortable with if right. you show both the monopoly and then. So you can you have know, a monopoly and not do anti-competitive business yes. practices and you're and you're in the free and clear. Yes. But right. if you are and, and you have to leverage that monopoly position to to do the anti-competitive thing and then it becomes an antitrust issue. So if I send you a contract that says because I have 60 percent of your business, you must give me 50 percent, you know, price break because, you know, whatever. Otherwise, we'll destroy. You, <laughs> Otherwise, right? we'll we'll destroy you. Right? Yeah, and that I'm I'm sure you know if you ever write that into a deal anywhere, that would be really dumb. <laughs> well, people have done it though. That's that's why antitrust lawsuits succeed, right? Because yeah, sometimes yeah. yeah. So here's the thing, though, right? Like, um, one of the things about law, about good law, is that that the legal standards need to be sort of predictable, right? Something mm-hmm. that people can. Um, do certain things and know that they're not going to run afoul of the law and they should, you know, there should be a clear line. Ideally, that's the case, right? No law really does have a clear line. I mean, that's why lawyers have jobs, but, uh, (laughs) but, and the um, courts are so busy. Exactly. Uh, But um, the, it's kind of like, I I know what Dennis was getting at when he said when something is icky, because essentially it's kind of like, what's that, you know, very popular thing people say about pornography. It's very hard to define, but everybody knows it when they see it, right? Right. And and the thing about antitrust is it almost feels like that, right? Um, Like almost everybody feels like they know when when something's an egregious kind of bad business practice. Um, But ahead of time, it's hard to define what those things are because in different markets, something that might seem egregious in another market is doesn't seem that egregious in another circumstance, right? It's very hard to, and I I think when it comes to Google specifically, uh, the thing that you guys were talking about, which is to leverage the monopoly position to do essentially evil. I I don't think Google has crossed that threshold, right? Like they don't, they, in fact, they almost go out of their way to sort of, to, uh, 
to 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 essentially do um, I don't know if it's for PR reasons or whatever, but almost go out of their way to be as open as possible. Yeah. Uh, well, and, I I, th I think that's true. Now there is like so the sort of one situation where like Yelp has has really gone after Google hard and claimed that and they claim that Google has abused its monopoly position is in like local search stuff in yeah. that if you do a local search, like Google puts its own um, like boxes at the top of the search and it's from its own Google yeah, own local product. results. Yeah. And, and the, at first uh, Google doesn't do this anymore. I don't think, but at first they were actually scraping like Yelp reviews mm -hmm. and basically including them in their own Google local product. And so Yelp, called yeah. that abusive um and you know th there's a potential point there and and um you know yelp actually put out this paper where they basically said you know google has a ranking algorithm where you know if they want to put boxes at the top of like local results yeah. why don't they run it through their ranking algorithm and if yelp's results come out better yelp's results should be at the top and if travel uh, or um, TripAdvisor's results come out the top, they should be at there. And if Google's results come out, then they should be. But when Google is setting it up so that's just Google results at the top, yeah, you know that that seems a little iffy. I, I think the word you're looking for is icky. <laughs> oh gosh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Like I, I am. Uh... You know, it doesn't actually cross the icky threshold for me, and I'm trying to think, put my finger on why. I've um, successfully established the icky threshold as a thing. <laughs> yeah. I, so why doesn't it feel icky to me? If I think about why it doesn't feel icky to me, um, I'm trying to think, is, is it because the practice itself is not icky? I think the reason it doesn't feel icky is because I, I think maybe this is, it's because Yelp themselves seem abusive as a company to me, the way they <laughs> treat businesses. Well, so maybe, maybe to some extent, I, I have this like weird, weird kind of schadenfreude in, in that type of feeling. <laughs> We're like, all right, great. I'm glad someone treats you the way you treat small businesses, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, it may, if, if they were like a very wonderful small mom and pop type of company, Yelp, you know, just in this alternative universe. Like um, if, if Google made like a Wikipedia alternative or something that was... Yeah. They tried so, that. Yeah, that was sponsored by ads, and they made ad ad revenue if they started mm -hmm. to you know, rank their own encyclopedia product above Wikipedia. That would feel unfair. Well, yeah. well, one of the wonderful things about Wikipedia is you they don't care if you take their content and put yeah. them somewhere else. They just don't care about that. Well, it's, uh, it's Creative Commons, so you mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, you, you know. have to create it. But but you yeah. know, and and so like you know, my reaction to the to the Yelp story um, is that like I think they have a good point in that. It's probably a better consumer experience if Google were to run its local listings through its own algorithm and yeah. pull from the best sources. But I'm still troubled by the idea that the government should force them to do that, right? I mean, right, like they should be allowed to make a bad product decision, right, right. And but and, but I think the the argument here is that well, there is no other search alternative. I guess you go to Bing and be like, "Oh, look, Bing puts puts yeah. Yelp." But but then well, well, Dennis, the other the, the other Mike, thing too. Sorry, the other thing too is that like you know honestly, like you know I in in my experience like if I'm doing local searches for like restaurants or something like I just sort of default to Yelp because I think the product yeah. is better than than Google's local search anyways. I mean, so local like, search and, and in general is still bad. But exactly, that's, that's, that is exactly. a whole other other no, topic. But you, but you guys <laughs> just gave the reason why antitrust is unnecessary because. It is so easy to go to another site that if Google makes a bad product, we just know that yep. for searches on restaurants and stuff, you go to Yelp. Like I have the Yelp app installed simply because 
Google just doesn't have enough reviews for most restaurants. They're all on Yelp, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and I mean, especially in the mobile world where, mm-hmm. where you're sort of picking an app, like I, I just sort of default to, to going to Yelp. But even even in the Google setting, if I do a search, you know, I kind of look for the Yelp result. That's just sort of like my natural inclination. I look up a restaurant. The first thing I'm actually looking for is the, even if I do the search on Google, I look for the Yelp link. But, um, you know, just to, just to think about this ickiness a different way, I think an, another thing that I would add to Dennis's icky test is also the fear test, right? Like if, if there's a company that starts to make us kind of afraid as citizens, we're like, oh, they're, you know, getting too much power. They're becoming unstoppable. Um, like, you know, like uh, what's his name? Was it JP Morgan's like, you know, his trust that actually started all of this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the Sherman Antitrust Act. Yeah, exactly. So like if uh, if. If things are that scary, right, you know, that should maybe trigger, uh, you know, so, uh, the ickiness, right, to us. Maybe not the ickiness, but at that point, the scariness. And yeah. I, th- I think Google doesn't ch- uh, cross that threshold. And I think the reason is because Google has tried so many times to <laughs> do world domination in areas that are not search. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and <laughs> let let know. us count let us count the ways right like yeah. like Google Plus because they saw that Facebook's market was nice well it just didn't work out and then like you know now yeah. you know and that was their out. number one goal for that yeah. entire year yeah and 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 and, they, and that was not their first attempt either right they had Google Buzz before that that was and, their and don't forget Orkut yeah. and Orkut yeah Google yeah. Wave was that different than Buzz I can't remember yeah yeah it Google was Wave was was different than Buzz and they yeah. also owned like a, an early Twitter competitor what was it like Jaiku or something that that never uh, went yeah. anywhere and they uh, bought Dodgeball uh, you know and and and. Yes, I mean basically Google has a very long history of yeah. failing to leverage its position in in, in and certain then the areas. products we do love like Reader they shut down. So. <laughs> that's, that's another issue altogether. <laughs> but, I mean there is but if you think if you think about it even in things that we see as kind of Google's stronghold um, uh, Gmail uh, mm-hmm. Google Maps, etc. Right? It's it's yeah. it's really not. Uh, those are pretty uh, good. Those are very good, and almost everyone uses it. But if you look at maps that are integrated into products, uh, it's it's not like Google Maps is the only show in town, right? Sure. Like you, people, developers integrate all kinds of mapping services. Um, I'm sure Google Maps is at the, the very top of the list. But even if you take something that's very very central in that maps experience, such as navigation, right? Um, within navigation, you'll see that like. Well, I guess Google bought Waze, but for a long right. time, Waze was sort of gaining on Google Maps, and, and maybe that's the reason they bought them. And, and uh, uh, Apple Maps is is pretty prevalent now on on iPhone. I heard it's it's much. What do you mean by prevalent? Uh, well, I guess it popular. <laughs> it's there. Yeah, yeah. Really, it's, it's, it's popular. It, oh yeah, people use it. People use it. Why? Uh, All right. I, I think it's because they don't know that you they can install Google better. Maps. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think you know that's exactly Well that, that that raises a question is is Apple abusing its position with the iPhone to push its Apple Maps even though well, it's ta- they, crappy They are. Product? Apple is always uh, abusing its position, but the thing is we there's Android and there's other competitors sure. and if they ever get like if Apple ever right, gets But I mean that's that's what no, that's Microsoft a, that's Microsoft abusing got dinged, the position, yeah. Right? Microsoft got dinged for for tying, you know, Internet Explorer to Windows. So Yeah. And like, I can, is, the fact that I can't remove Apple apps from my iPhone is super annoying. Like I cannot delete them. Yeah, I know. They're doing everything that they yelled at Microsoft before. Actually, I don't know if Apple specifically yelled at Microsoft, but Apple we certainly a, yelled at the, Microsoft yeah, about Apple those was things. Yeah, was a part of it. <laughs> but, uh, Microsoft. 
And and if you look at sort of the things that Apple is doing, you know, forget about the uninstallability of apps, but also if you look at the way they privilege their apps, right? Like if you write a, I don't know if it's still the case now, but for a long time, if you wrote a browser app for mm -hmm. iOS devices, the view that you would use to actually show the web content was a web view that Safari, Apple would provide. Yeah. And you couldn't write your own renderer. You couldn't, you know, just download and execute your own code. You couldn't write essentially a faster browser. Like Safari was it. Even though you might shell it, you might put a skin on it, a Chrome skin on it. It was still their sort of web view. And I don't know if that's still the case now, but that seems rather weird. Um, mm. And, you know. And I need to update you. This, on the way, the, as of the last update with iOS 10, you can now delete the Apple apps. Uh -huh. So I just tried it and I was like, whoa, I can delete it. Anyway. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? Yeah. As of, as of just this new iOS 10 that I just installed. So uh, that, that, you, that you installed without bricking your phone like some, some other yeah, yeah. Mine worked, <laughs> which is pretty good. I actually am very happy with iOS 10, but that's a whole other. <laughs> yeah. Let's not, let's not go down that path right now. Um, yeah. So, so, all right, let's, let's, you know, anyway, now, now bring we're, us back, Mike. Bring <laughs> us back. Now, now we're, now we're down the path of, of uh, Apple, Apple as the, the, I mean, they, they, they do have a similar position as Microsoft had, right? Like, sure. They're, they're going to get into that same, same I mean, thing. in the, you know, and, and then, you know, you have that question, like, sure. In the mobile phone market, like there are competitors, Android based competitors, but like, yeah. you know, iPhone is pretty dominant in, in the U S market at least. And, and you know, but are, and are they using well, that? What do you mean by dominant? Proportion? I mean, Android is, is, has more installed users, right? Um, I don't know in the U.S. if, if Android, yeah. it's close. I think it's it's sort of in the 50-50 range. But yeah. So is that is that a dominant player? It it can be. It depends on how you define it, right? I guess, so, yeah. Okay. Um, so, it's all, so it all comes down to definitions. It's a monopoly if you define the market right. It is dominant if you... And, and but then the question is an abusive right i mean what right. what counts as abusive right and yeah. you know you've gone with your icky standard i'm not that comfortable with that as a standard of abusiveness yeah. i mean but, but what i would say is like okay you know before apple changed this ios 10 so that i could remove their default apps mm -hmm. i really felt it was icky i was like i i can't remove you know apple maps from my phone and and it's okay that to me that they default it like as mm -hmm. as installing it for me um that seems okay but the fact that i couldn't delete it really struck me as a key, but now that they change it, I'm right. okay with it. Well, know? I mean, so, so the other thing that we haven't really discussed in terms of like abusive powers, and I mean, I guess Hershey brought it up a little bit, is is this idea of, of collusion. When you have like actual collusion and sort of price fixing, like, mm -hmm. Hersh, are you comfortable with antitrust in those cases? Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, yeah, right. I, th I think I, I would have to be. I think... Uh, the, so you're talking about sort of the cartel situation, right? Sure. Where a bunch of businesses get together and say, hey, you know, we're going to operate together as buyers and we're going to make sure all the suppliers have to supply stuff. Right. I mean, so this is this mm -hmm. is where Apple did get hit with an antitrust yeah. successfully, which is that they basically worked with all the book publishers and got them to agree to effectively raise the prices of ebooks and then force Amazon to raise the prices of ebooks. And that was basically Apple coordinating, mm -hmm. um, you know, a collusive action among all the publishers. And, you know, and so Apple got in trouble for that. Now, other people were claiming that it should have been Amazon that got in trouble because Amazon had the only market for ebooks at the time right. and forced all the publishers to price them all the ebooks at 999 um and apple sort of broke that stranglehold um but you know broke it in a way that most a lot of people consider to be anti-consumer because it mostly pushed prices upwards mm -hmm. yeah that's exactly right um 
I think that's why um, people didn't punish Amazon for that, right? Because it was kind of like Amazon was essentially not making money for itself. It was just right. breaking in and, and that might've been the reason. So, so, um, so then that, you know, so we're adding this other condition here, which is that um, the effect on the consumer, right? So you have, you have dominant, but, dominant position abusing mm-hmm. that power in a way that harms consumers. Exactly. You need to be harming the consumers. If you're making the consumers <laughs> better off, nobody cares. Like when Walmart essentially is yeah. the titan of forcing suppliers to sell them product at lower and lower price, but then they don't make the margin on that. They just pass the savings on. If if they were essentially forcing mom and uh, you know different suppliers to essentially sell them stuff yeah. uh, at a cheaper cost and then not passing on the savings. Well, you know, if you think about it though, <laughs> if you yes. think about it though, the the reason that 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 doing that is not uh, does not run afoul of our laws, I think, is mm-hmm. because. If you are passing on the savings to consumers, not only is it good for for consumers, it's essentially the kind of thing that if you were to ever stop it, um, there would soon be a competitor that would eat your lunch. Because Mm -hmm. consumers are used to a particular price level now, right? And, And they know how low it can go. I think consumer abuse mainly happens when we don't know better. Uh... You know, like this is why Comcast, etc., can abuse us. This is why we are willing to pay five ninety nine for an SMS plan, right? Um, it's because Speak I, for yourself. <laughs> well, well, some people were now not anymore. Yes, yeah, we've yeah. been educated now, but sure. essentially, we, we're we're willing to live with these abuses because the business we don't know any better. But if if the business has already sort of educated us themselves, and now they start to try to push the margins up, I think people instantly rebel. And market enters. Uh, sorry, capital enters that market to create a competitor. Yeah, right? that's why. That's why I, I I have trouble. Like a lot of people always argue, like dumping, um, as sort of an dumping antitrust is, issue. Yeah. You know, where it's like, and and you know, people have argued this against Amazon. They argue against Uber all the time. Like this idea that they're like, sure, they're cheap and good for customers now, but they're they're doing that to drive everyone else out of the market, and then they'll jack up prices. And yet, that I, I can't think doesn't. of a case where that's actually happened. And, yeah, or worked. It's not, you know? it's not sustainable. Essentially, what you're saying, I think, is this: it, when you, when you say that, hey, Amazon's going to do this, and then they're going to turn on the profits later. Essentially, what you're saying is nobody else knows how to build warehouses. Right, nobody right. else knows how to bargain with suppliers. Well, I mean, th- uh, there is know, there is a legitimate argument that, like, you know, if Amazon has that kind of scale, yeah, that scale, nobody else scale could, is hard could, to replicate. Could, yeah, yes. match that, right? No, no. Uh, what what Amazon scale gives them mm-hmm. is the ability to charge margins. But there's a ceiling on those margins. And what's the ceiling? The ceiling on the margin is when it gets high enough that someone can launch a competitor even though they have that scale, right? So they, it's true that they can get, extract better margins than other people because of that scale. But once they they get to the level where they start charging target prices, well, target just re-enters the market, right? So there's a ceiling sure. on them being able to just kind of indefinitely raise prices. And the, and the place where I think we, we feel pain is when no matter how high they raise the prices, a competitor can't enter the market you know something like textbooks or something like that which i never understood why my textbooks in law school were so expensive uh <laughs> well, there's, you know. there's there's Te- textbooks there's textbooks is probably a good subject for another podcast yeah, yeah. well there's and and there's a big copyright issue behind that and yeah and and a couple of lawsuits but but really really interesting ones that yeah yeah Yeah, but but you know if you if you think about the copyright issues mike like if you think about a a particular legal topic yes 
maybe the top author for a particular legal legal topic is only willing to sell to a particular publisher and wants his books to sell for $200 a copy. But I think there's enough demand for, let's say, a property book that somebody else knows enough about the subject that they can write a book about it. And maybe it won't be as good as the first one, but it'll be pretty good. And, they, sure. and, and they're willing to sell, sell for $25. Well, there, 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 there's a whole other, and, and I, I really don't want to go down the path yeah. of discussing the textbook market and sort of why it's yeah. it's so messed up. Um, but it's that, that's an, it's an interesting <laughs> interesting one. But but let's bring this back around and yeah. sort of mm-hmm. br- bring it to a close here because we're, we're about done with our time. Um, so I think, I think we did actually... Uh, you know, throughout all this discussion, come up with a standard that that we all sort of feel comfortable with in terms of antitrust, which is, and and you know, despite some skepticism from both of you, <laughs> which <laughs> is a situation in which there is, you know, uh, market power, some yeah. sort of you know dominance that creates market power that is then abused and abused in a way that that harms consumers, um, and. Dennis thinks is icky. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I like it. And, and, you know, maybe there's another condition in there that is like basically in a situation where because of that, that dominance, it is not, there is some sort of lock-in that makes it difficult for, for competitors to enter that market. Or, and I guess we, we didn't quite put this in there, but maybe, uh, you know, where there's, where there's clear collusion, like out and out, collusion and price fixing yeah yeah to be to be so i, so. So. I mean the collusion is the obvious one but the other if in in the in the presence of the other just the other three that's mm-hmm. where it gets kind of complicated right yeah so. yeah yeah it is definitely complicated but um, i mean if all four are there that's like uh yeah that's obvious right so I think we're we're all set to run the the antitrust division of the Justice Department now. I think so. I mean, it's been since what 1890, so they need a little refresh. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, antitrust has a lot to do with things outside of. Oh, the totally. Yeah. Antitrust. <laughs> yeah. It'd be fun to run, though. Want to do it? <laughs> Let's do it. Let's right. do it. What about Europe? I mean, maybe we should go over oh, yeah, there and fix theirs because theirs is a global a antitrust yeah, uh, well, foundation. Th- why should they have a monopoly on doing antitrust? Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like we can chance. we can have an independent agency that that deems things antitrust or trust <laughs> the global trustful? monopoly. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, we'll have like yeah, We're like we superheroes have... of the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know quite how well that works, but anyways, all right. Uh, on that <laughs> note, do you, do you guys have any final thoughts on this, or is have we we gotten wacky enough? Yeah, that I don't know. We're, think, we're past final thoughts. I'm thinking of the uniforms we'd have. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, our our special power is, is no power. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, Dennis, I'll leave you to go design our uniforms. Um, but but thanks for an interesting discussion, uh, and thanks to everyone for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week bye to grab a shovel and think of the cat if we don't stand up to them someone will get